Okay, so now that we've heard about Target Truck's path to Newfoundland, we resume the episode with Mark's in-depth look at where Target Truck is going and what the build is shaping up to become. It's crazy, legitimately, and the lengths that Mark is going to with this vehicle are absolutely astounding. Some of the highlights in the episode to listen for are Mark explaining what it takes to get a motor to and from the U.S. That happens around the 17 and a half minute mark. How he and Chassis Stop were able to shoehorn his LS race block 18 inches back from the factory mounts to basically under his dash. That happens around the 30 minute mark. Um, international influences the truck has had at about 40 minutes and a tribute to the $15,000 used car challenge around 45 minutes. Mark gives us some great advice about how you can turn one of those into a proper project car. And then lastly, around the 50 minute mark, uh, Mark gives us some of the best advice you can get on choosing the ideal project car, what kind of time investment you'll need to commit to building something like that if you want to build it how Mark does. As always, I hope you enjoy. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, and this is the Bucket Seat Podcast. No, you have continually been building this truck. I mean, it's relentless. All the photos that I see are constantly. Yeah, it's been like it's been in a planning. Like I, what I'm doing now to it, I had planned. I had done this planning stage back when I did Targa. So I had figured out, you know, the the plan with Targa was was how do we take this truck mostly? It was mostly stock. Like it was like outside of the springs and drop spindles and like it had a Willwood. like I still use fa- I use factory front rotors like you could buy those rotors at any part store for 70 bucks a piece you know <laughs> wow. I, pu- I put I put wow. like I put ARP studs in them but mm-hmm. you know they like those re- every time those, those rotors like they came off like there was they looked perfect but they just were a throw at item because I would heat treat them I would heat them up so bad like there was bricks <laughs> so we would just take them off throw them out like basically it was buy a set of pads which were more expensive than the rotors oh god wow pads rotors Changed out. That's all you would do. Um, and uh, but it was it was a bit of an it was an exercise in you know let's make it. Safe. It was always it's always about making the vehicle safe. Like mm-hmm. Most of the most mm-hmm. of the expense with getting me into Target was making it safe. So the you know um, just cage stuff, safety yeah, stuff, halon stuff or uh, not. I don't use halon. I use uh, I use an E thirty six Dupont product um, just because it's better for your lungs. Um, it's not perfect, but it's better. Mm-hmm. Um, and the suspension was no more than your typical car show guy. Like it was really, it was, it was underwhelming as one person put it. Like it was so, like everybody was always so excited to look underneath it. And I look underneath it and go, really? <laughs> like really? Like there was nothing that, like it was so stock, you know, and it worked. Um, so yeah, the, the, this plan that I'm in right now is a modified version of it. I wanted to chassis it, but I, for many reasons, mostly because of the U.S. dollar situation, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and I discovered that the way that I thought people were building trucks, I didn't agree with it, and that plan wasn't going to work for my truck for because I had some different ideas about weight, mm-hmm. um, or not maybe different ideas, but just I had some thoughts on how it. I could achieve some goals, I guess, that maybe were less popular. Um, and um, 
and uh, I, just, I, I kind of got stuck because of the U.S. dollar. So I, I, I started approaching it a, a different way to try to make it work. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we're at now. So it, it, I, I, I executed this plan that we had in place and got the parts because I was working with this guy named Ron Sutton down in California who did the original setup for Targa. He was a guy that I met on uh, ProTouring.com mm -hmm. and I just approached him and said, hey, your build thread on yeah, yeah, so if you look at the build thread, I met him through that. I just, I, I just sent him a message one day. I said, he's always fixing people's problems. And I said, before I create problems, would you like to take a look at what I'm going to do and give me some advice? <laughs> and he said, sure. So, and he was also one of the very few people that, was like in the camp of, yeah, we can make it work better because everybody said it couldn't be done. Like they just said flat out, nope. Like I would call places about parts and I'd tell them the application and they'd just go, nope, not going to work. And I'm like, ah, wow, really? I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Like mm -hmm. I, like that's mm -hmm. something, like I just, when in history has a, a flat no been the answer? Right. I mean, very rarely. So yeah. I, you know, we talked and I'm like, we talked about what we wanted to get out of it or what I needed to get out of it. And the biggest one was get home safe if something goes wrong. So we made he made some simple ransom numbers on the ransom numbers on the brakes and I sent him some videos of of it running and he deemed that really suspension wise for my level of driving was clearly it was enough um, and it worked well enough because it was fast enough because of the cars I was hanging with and um, so we just we just left it as is and made very minimal tweaks to it so this version of it is a little more extreme mm -hmm. um, mostly because of I um, I ended up, uh, uh, if anybody out there knows Frank Ewald, he invited me out to a Grand Prix day at Mosport. And I flat out said, no, I wasn't ready. Because Grand Prix track is like, that's one of the, that's like, a, that's every, every corner is a blind corner. It's and a big one. It's a monster one. It's and you can, one. in, in you know, I heard stories about that track. And I mean, right. you know. I've run um, it, I've run it, most, you know. Uh, you know, less than 10 times. Yeah. When I've only done it one day in my life. And, and it's, and, there are definitely some, there are definitely yeah. some scary components. It's, I mean, yeah. It's super fun. Like, mm -hmm. it's amazingly fun. Anyways, he, they invited me out to do it. And um, I said I wouldn't. And they said, well, what if we got you a, a, a driving instructor? Would you come out then? And I said, sure. If you can find somebody that wants to climb in that thing with me on that track, I'll come out. Thinking that it wouldn't happen. Yeah. Well, then the next day, um, this guy named Scott Mervin, who owns uh, Canem Alignment in Dundas, called me up, and I knew the guy. Like, I knew Scott; I'd seen him before, and he'd done the setup on the truck. When I said, "Frank called me," said, "I'm in. Let's go." So we went out on, we went, took that thing out on the Grand Prix track, and no basically kidding. hot lapped it for two and a half hours because <laughs> I would do, take it for a half hour, then I'd come in and take a break and collect my senses, and he would go out and take it around for a half hour. We just did that. We just kept doing it. We went. I went through like I put. 400 and something dollars for the gas through it that day <laughs> yeah, yeah. um the 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 catch was is that we weren't going super fast like we weren't out there going terribly fast but the, what happened was is that we were putting so much pressure on it that i started having interference problems with the brakes like weird caliper bolts getting into rotors and just couldn't figure it out like it was getting really hot Things were getting, well, I couldn't be hot though, because it, when it sat still, I could put my, I could slide my pinky finger between where there was interference. But then I started realizing, and then it was only on the bottom bolt on the caliber, not the top bolt. And I'm like, well, what's going on here? So eventually, when I started kind of putting all the pieces together, what I figured out was on my high, on my high mile per hour sweepers, I was basically twisting the axle up and pushing. The axles were, were flexing and then pushing the rotors into the bolts and the housing. 
And then we're like, okay, what else is giving up on this thing? And then I started looking at videos and realizing how much the pan hard bar was flexing and pushing the wheel outside of the box. Like, there was just a whole bunch of stuff wow, yeah. that we had no idea we were at that limit. And then this kind of came back around to my conversations with this guy named Ron Sutton, who'd been helping me out with the planning on it. And I was like, you know, Ron, it's time. We got to do something with the brakes. And um, he designs these spindles I use. And he, you know, we work together on specking this nine inch floater for Like I have a full like grand, like it's like the floater I have now, the rear end I have for my truck is the exact same one that goes in like a grand national car. Um, and amongst a bunch of other stuff, but those were the big bits. And then with all of that, because when you get into building spindles, you know, you can actually, you can set everything. Like, so we designed like KPI, um, um, the actual where the, the hub sits on it, you can adjust that quite a bit. So we pushed that in so I could run a proper square setup. So I had to have all new wheels made. So I got a set of Ford lines in that order. Yeah, and it just makes- beautiful wheels on it. Yeah, right and a lot of that is by design. Like there's a lot of that stuff, which I, I didn't, I don't really feel like I'm at that point where this, this stuff seems too good, but- uh-huh. At the same time, all the stuff that I had bought that was good enough before, I end up I end up going through it like it's just going through it like it's just it's, it wasn't enough. So I kind of hit this version of it as hard as I could, um, and then to start coping with the fact that it's a long wheelbase, really the 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 answer that I came up with was as I just looked at the weight of it all and I'm like, well, I got to push the engine somewhere. You know, the engine sitting where it is is not the answer. I know that. And I don't want to put it in the bed because that's just kind of like, that's way too honky. Agreed. Um, agreed. And, yeah, I'm glad you went that route. Yeah. And and I just, then, you know, honestly, that's not the answer either. You really, that just, that, that, that gets you into a whole lot of trouble with inexpensive parts to actually make it work. So we just decided mm-hmm. an engine setback would be enough. Um, and I got talking to fabricators and just who could do it. Um, and, uh, and I had all these parts and I was talking with fabricators. So the basic thing was, was do this bolt on kit that we built. Cause this kit that I built with Ron was essentially a bolt on item. Like it's, it's, we designed like the, how we went through and we, there, we ordered a custom combination of how ball joints had the custom spindles made, had the wheels made. Everything was made on measurements. Like I spent so much time with the measuring tape in my hand wow. that this thing showed up that dropped the old parts off, bolt the old new parts on. That's how easy it was designed to be. Which it did that. Like it bolted on exactly the way it was supposed to. No questions asked. Sorry, where was this fabricated? Uh, the parts were fabricated all over the place. I worked with this guy in California, Ron Sutton. And he worked yeah. with Speedway Motors, with Forge Line. And then his spindles are made by a company called Coleman. Okay. Um, but all of it is basically one-off stuff to specification. It's incredible. Um, which it has to be. Because like just with what I'm building, there is nothing no, off the shelf for yeah, it. Nobody else is doing this. Yeah, nobody else is doing it. And probably for good reason. Anyway, <laughs> um, we uh, this stuff showed up. And the basic thing on fabrication was when I got into the fabrication um that was the plan at that point um the one little i guess the segue in the story here is my wife and i were trying to have another baby which then turned out to be twins (laughs) so in the middle of all of this it happens in the middle of all of this this one baby that seems so easy to come into our life was going to be twins and putting us out of three family three child family which was not what we kind of had intended on yeah yeah and this little revision that i was going to do the truck which was just simple brakes whatnot and exploring the idea of doing this engine setback became okay i'm not going to be racing there's a good chance i can't race this year like it seems crazy to me to assume again this much risk with this much change Mm -hmm. so how do i 
prep for what comes and how am I going to be okay with taking this long of a time off? So I kind of stepped back from the project. and was like, okay, so if I'm going to do this, I'm going to try to take out some of the really huge problems with weight. This engine setback thing was set in stone right there. So anybody who was hinky about doing it was off the list. And what else should I do? So then all of a sudden my steering components were coming out. I got proper like a Woodward steering column. Um, 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 collapsible? It's a collapsible. It's an actual, it's an actual uh, Australian supercar NASCAR piece. Like it's the real deal. It's the same cool. thing. Yeah. I have a set of tilt and set up, a tilt and pedal set up for it, like a reverse mount, like proper stuff. And, uh, and um, you know, a lot of this, you know, uh, uh, I guess that's another part of the story that I should explain though too, is all this kind of came as a surprise because I was getting into this heavy duty race car stuff. And I had been dealing with um, performance improvements up until now with getting all the parts for it. I had done that since the dawn yeah. of time anyway, yeah. right? And so they were kind of in this mix, realizing that my life was in this weird conundrum. And I'm like, I'm kind of getting into all these heavy duty parts. And it's like, well, we can get anything. I bet you we can get that. So they ended up kind of like running sideline with me at this point to finding me the stuff I need while I'm trying to find a trying to find a fabricator. The truck is actually in their warehouse where I'm working on it because they had some extra space and I had nowhere to work on it because of the time of year. So it's in their of warehouse. Course, and it's yeah. just like, it, honestly, it, probably forever all the listeners out there, this sounds like mayhem and it absolutely was because I had to figure out how to get this thing done because we know if it sits past a year, if it sits past a year, it's not going to happen. Like mm -hmm, it's just, mm -hmm. I've seen it happen with so many people. Um, but the um uh, in the end somehow it worked somehow everything now is, is kind of caught up to being on track um and we have yeah there's even the engine build is in the middle of all that too like trying to get the engine into texas to, to texas with the epa like that's another story should, that's where it was built yeah the engine oh, was done God. by yeah uh, um uh, why don't i wrap back around to that so such a confusing story. I'm sorry to all the listeners right now. But no, this, no, no, this no. Is, this, is a, this, is a snap, this is a snapshot into my life right now. So I guess basically what I have is I have a giant crate full of these insane parts. I have a truck that's torn apart at Performance Improvements. I have an engine that I was just going to ship to America because I had met at LS Fest last year. I met my, one of my sponsors, which was um, which was Scoggin Dickey Parts Center, right? Um, and... I was just, I never met the guys. They were like really good to me in the end. Like they, they were like one of the linchpins and like this the whole thing working out because of, uh, of a strange connection through Dr. Jamie Mayer, who was the head of Chevrolet Performance in Detroit. And he couldn't help, but wanted to help because he loved the project and just loved, oh, it, cool. loved the insanity of it all. And that's another story. I'm sorry. There's so many. I, yeah, I, no, I, I, no, no, sorry. This is good. This is good. It, it just, oh my goodness. How about we come back to that? Anyway, I met, my guy from Scog and Dickey in Kentucky. I basically I basically landed there. I drove truck into Kentucky for LS Fest, and that's like a it's like a round trip. It's like two thousand miles. Oh God! I think. And in the middle of it, I had this little like track and field event for the truck. Seems like a perfectly good idea. <laughs> and uh, anyways, on the first night there, I went to met, meet this guy Keith, and because we had never met, and we had got so much public publicity from the truck. Yeah, running Targa. Right, yeah, you guys have a ton of press just, on that. You know, we just wanted to meet. We had a lot of fun, and they were super happy. And, G and General Motors was super happy, and everybody was everybody with this dumb ass long bed truck was just happy, right? It, made, it makes people smile. 
Um, so we went over for a beer and like partway through the beer, he's like, well, what do you want to do for 2016? And that wasn't why I was having this meeting with this guy. I just wanted to say hi. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, and I, at that point, I wasn't going to do anything else. I was going to turn back into a streetcar. Like I was just going to stop. Like it was, the point was to do Targa and assume regular life. But I didn't, yeah. coming out of Targa, regular life, I mean, I, what, there was no going back, apparently. What is, what is regular life now for this Yeah, trip? so instead of, and honestly, the discussion was, like, just he was like, tell me how much money you want, we'll send you the money, and you do what you want. Like, that's basically, the, that's basically what it was going to be. I, and we're not talking huge money here. We're talking like, and I, and I said to him at the time, I said, honestly, I said, as much as, I, I mean, I need money to make this work. Of course. What I need more than that is I need my engine rebuilt. And would you be interested in working out some sort of deal and doing the engine and, and that kind of stuff? And they had just opened up a Scog and Dickey race shop. So they're building like monster motors. Yeah. Like they're building crazy they're, machines. They're building the motors for Street Outlaws right now. Wow. Like they do that stuff. Oh, God. So, uh, and it turns out part of the reason this all had worked, and I didn't know about it, but this guy, Keith, he runs, uh, he, he's an open road racer. He, he's got like a 90, uh, 2002 Trans Am or something like that with a 416 in it. So we just kind of got along in a house on fire and kind of left it at that, that like on a gentleman's handshake that, well, we should do something together. This would help me and it's up your alley. So, okay. Um, and uh, cut to PRI that year. I flew down. They wanted me to come down to PRI because they wanted me to meet the owner of, uh, of Scog and Dickey um, and uh, this guy named Nikki. And um, so I meet him in the hallway. I've got a presentation ready to go and and we kind of have this 30 second conversation and he's like, yeah, this is awesome. Let's do it. And like all of a sudden it was over and I'm like, and my general rule of sales of when you get what you want, you shut the hell yeah, up. Stop and stop go. And go. So yeah. I just stopped, <laughs> dropped and rolled and left. Yeah. And, uh, and then turned into, again, coming back around to where we were in the story of me ripping the engine out of the truck at performance improvements and all that rigmarole and uh, trying to get the engine into the United States of America, which was turned out to be like three months of paperwork. The EPA does not want Amer- the EPA does not want this back in the country. Yeah, they don't want any of these. Things they don't want any of these things coming in the country, and and you know taking out ten thousand dollar bonds on shipments, and like just again all went off without a hitch. But man, talk about just paperwork and craziness. Yeah, like, proving what it's worth and proving what it is and figuring out depreciation and proving that it's not going down there to be sold and put into an American car. and It's coming back, don't worry. Yeah, and the tricky thing was it was all American parts, but it was assembled in Canada. Uh-huh. Ah, there's the problem. But now it's an American-made motor. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's you uh, could, it just... Weird, yeah, red tape on all yeah, that. Yeah, so... Um, Hang on, before we before we move on, I'm going to... We're going to take a quick break. Yeah. I'm going to save. Yeah. And then we're going to finish the motor part of the story. Sure. So we're back. Um, we left off at some of the, uh, I, I guess, some of the the restrictions that the EPA may put on you sending a motor yeah. into the U.S. with the intent for it to return. Yeah. Um, and so maybe go into what it was that um, kind of the, the original intent was now that this motor has made it down into the U.S. or is it, yeah. it was about to make it down into the U.S. It's like what were your plans for it? Just, and for anybody out there listening, if you ever need to send a motor into the U.S., there's a, there's a motor and there's an engine import hotline no for shit. the EPA. Yeah, and you call that number and that guy that picks up the phone says, well, you need to send me an email that says <laughs> X says this. And I'm like, nothing else? He's like, nope. So you hang up the phone. You send him an email <laughs> and he sends you back a form that you have to fill out and you send it back to him super fast because he wants 21 days to fill it out. 
and give you approval. And you need that okay. letter. Like those when the timelines are not an advertising timeline. Yeah, when <laughs> when that when that when the truck shows up and sees that your engine is going to the states, they will not load it on the truck without the first thing they say. They don't even say hello. They look at it and go engine EPA letter. And if you don't have the EPA letter, they're not putting it on the truck. So I had the EPA letter, and it was super. It was it was butter. It was. It took me a while to figure it out because it's not an easy... The process isn't clearly outlined until you know where to look. Right. I'm sure the language isn't the all language that The language is weird. Everything's weird. Customs doesn't understand it. The, the, the brokers don't understand it. And it's always been there, but it hasn't been enforced. It's now enforced. And honestly, when you follow the rules, and again, this engine import hotline, that's, that's the... That's, that's the secret phrase to get you through it all. It took me months to... <laughs> it took me there's a hotline over. for it. It's a hotline. Um, that's... Once you have that, it's easier. And um, anyway, you know, I sent the motor down and it really, it, it's the way it should go with building motors. You know, I, I, there was nothing really wrong with what I had other than it had a lot of miles on it and not easy miles. And because of the nature of the motor, like it's got a, it's got a decent cam in it and, and uh, you know, things just, things just hour out. Sure. You know, and, and I had broke some lifters at one point, and uh, so you know we, we needed to get in there and check it out. And, and because of how the motor was being used, because originally I built the motor as a street motor, and it was a sleeper drag racer thing, right? So and I was going to twin turbo it back then and go index racing and blah, blah, blah. That didn't happen. So the motor was getting its use changed. At this point, I had done all the gear calculations on you know tire size. Um, I'd happened upon a uh, T56 like out of a IMSA car, which we'll, I guess we'll come oh, to that. Cool. We'll come, to, we'll come wow. to that in a minute, I guess. I'm trying to, I'm yeah. really trying to streamline this as I say it now because I, this disaster of an explanation of how this has all gone down. No, 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 believe me. Um, this is good. This is good. Uh, and I knew, basically what I knew was, is I knew in every gear what the optimal RPM range was. And that was with rod. We knew what the tire size currently was. We knew what the tire size is eventually going to be. So we just figured everything out. Um, so when I set the motor down, we I was happy with the power. Like, I had been able to chase down people with it. I had been able to do things with it that... And this was detuned. Like, I was running a detuned one because I had to run on 88 octane in, in Targa Newfoundland, right? Like, the octane ratings are awful. So I'm basically dumping... I took a few hundred dollars for the octane boost with me and wow. just loaded it up so the motor wouldn't self-destruct. Yeah. Um, because what was it? What was it running horsepower wise during? Target? I mean, five hundred and something maybe. Okay. It was. It was. It was. It was. It was a little sloppy, for what it normally is. That thing is, you know, when that thing is wound up to the, when it's wound up, it's, it's like a vicious beast. It's like it'll 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 knock you'll you'll swallow loose fillings. <laughs> If it hooks, that's if it hooks. But yeah. I ran like back in yeah. then. I was yeah. like on the street with drag radials, right? So, mm. you know, you're bombing around town with a set of drag radials on a heavy vehicle. It's gonna hook, especially when you have trailing arms. Um, anyway, um, so the motor goes down, and really it was pretty straightforward. It was gonna be a tear it apart, um, see what was wrong, fix what's wrong, maybe change the compression ratio to make it a little more gas friendly, maybe move the RPM, maybe move the power around a little bit. Uh, we're gonna dry sump, but it's dry sump now, so it's got mm -hmm. an AVA dry. It's got a yep. like a stage, what they call like a three port, which is uh, like a dry sump on it, which is like something you can use for competition and a little bit of street use. And then outside of that, it's just kind of a glorified like full roller, very tightly built motor to deal with repeated beatings. It's not a powerhouse by any stretch of the imagination. Like it came back. Um, we're talking crank horsepower with a carb on it, so they, they dynoed it with a carb. So 
But I know what I have right now at the moment. Like crank power, we're talking like 611-ish horsepower at 6,200 RPM. Uh, makes uh, 580 foot-pounds of torque at 5,000 RPM. But the average power numbers, because I have to move it, right? Like this is, we're talking, I'm moving, I'm moving the most, aerodynamics is not part of this discussion. Yeah, it's it a brick. It's we, a brick. We jokingly call it the tool shed with a pull-out back. Um, and <laughs> the only way it's going to move is to punch a really big hole in the air. Uh-huh. So we just do that with torque. Um, but like the power, like the average port power specs on it are really good. Like we're talking like 4,500 RPM to redline. It makes like, f- like it average, like averages like 580 horsepower. And like in torque, it averages like 560 foot pounds of torque from 4,500. Wow. So it's got this brick like power curve to it. And uh-huh. it's not, I'm not going to win any internet battles on power. Everybody's like, you've got that much, you've got that kind of motor and you're only making 600 horsepower. Well, yeah, it's like. I'm not here to win a conversation. But you need reliability and oh, yeah, dependability. Yeah. This, this, this is a motor. Like I can, this is a, you can daily drive this motor. Like it's, built to be, it's built for me to drive it anywhere, run it for as long as I want to run it, as hard as I want to run it. And as long as I change the oil in it and don't do anything stupid, mm-hmm. it'll be fine. Even the last one was like I broke lifters in it, and the most we did was scuff a piston. Wow! You know we didn't hurt the block, and like I still like that was years ago. I broke lifters in it, and we still we like even when they took it apart, they found lifter parts hidden in it. Um, so I totally lucked out there. Um, <laughs> and um, so yeah, so really it went down, and it was just. And I'm I'm I had a few things to figure out because I have this like weird. Uh, distributor conversion on it which I did back in the day to hide it it was like this NASCAR thing and back in the day um, but I work with Wagner Motorsports out of um, Michigan or Illinois anyways Wagner Motorsports they make they make like badass stuff like yeah oh my goodness anyways I deal with KC down there and I've been dealing with them for years and I had bought a front drive and they make they make all the distributor conversion stuff for GM they designed it um, so they make all the front drive stuff. So they had happened to have some guy put a motor similar to mine in a um, <laughs> in a uh, pre-runner. And so he wanted a dry, dry sump. So they had made some special pulleys to put a dry sump on a motor like mine. Then so he happened to have a spare one on the shelf. So he sold me that. So basically all this parts and engines and everything rocketed down to Texan, to Skog and Dickey. And they assembled it for me, dynoed it, and sent it back. And it was like, honestly, it was... It was really, it was so smooth and so nice and so easy and they were so wonderful and I just, it was, I, I, I was really, I was, I had really great experiences with them and um, with, with the other parts of doing this partnership. But I mean, it was like a new adventure and, um, and it all came back because I mean, that motor was a, was a big investment for me back in the day and that's, that's like my hard-earned cash that originally built that, built up, bought that motor. So I was a little tentative about putting it in a box and firing it across the country. But of course, yeah. Everything was fine. Um, so it came back. Um, in the middle of all that, so at this point, so at this point, I've got a box full of parts. I've got a plan for the truck. I've got these weird race, really race car-y bits, like this tilt and pedal box and stuff that the guys at PI are looking for me for. I've got this engine down in Texas. And in the middle of all of this, amongst that I'm almost seven months in, like seven months of nine months of having twins, I run into um, uh, Anthony Mantella of Mantella Autosport. Do you know Mantella Autosport? No, I don't. Okay, so they're a local race team. They're an IMSA race team. They've ran like... um, They've ran Porsches. They ran uh, the Pratt and Miller. 
uh, Z28Rs. Nice. And now they run KTM Expos. Okay, yeah. So he, he, yeah, yeah. he had known the truck because of the article um, that we had run in PI. So we kind of knew about the story through them. Because there's, like, there's just this weird... like this, I find the more I do this, the more that the people that we all sign to... It's amazing how the people that you get along with kind of glom together. Right, yeah. And it's just like there's a lot of like-mindedness and they seem to find you. You seem to find each other. So I run into this guy in the parking lot one day at performance improvements he went to visit this guy named paul spears who has this garage behind there anyways we get chatting we figure out who each other are and he's like you know you really need to come to the shop because we have spare parts that we no longer need and i'm like really because they were going from running you no longer need well yeah because because they they were running they were running the z28 r's but they they run that that continental series that they run and runs on bop right so they were getting bop to death with the camaros and it wasn't terribly competitive and and we're talking this would have been last year, so 2016 that I met them. Mm-hmm. And the Camaros were a 2014 car. So just, you know, as time moves on, things change. And they mm-hmm. weren't changing mm-hmm. what they felt were in their favor. I think that's fair to say. Anthony, please correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> and they had moved to a part, uh, moved to the KTM. Uh, the Crossbow. Crossbow or Expo. Crossbow? Crossbow, Expo. Yeah, I can't oh, remember. One of the, I can't remember right yeah. now. It's, too it's one of those two. It's too late. Anyway, um, so I show up out there to find that they have this rack of stuff that is like includes. Like, you know, they had T56s sitting there. It is an Expo. So it is an Expo. Yeah. That clarification, everyone, it's known as an Expo. <laughs> so they had these T56s sitting there. And I'm like, I'm figuring they're a close, I'm figuring they're a close ratio. Because like these guys won't race. I'm figuring they're tough. So I get looking at it and I roll the thing over and they're Transillas. So we're talking, these are carbon synchroed, good for like 1,200 horsepower. Like these are, these are, these are, these are, these are good transmissions. So, um, and then I'm like going through the parts list and there's like OS kicking clutches there, like twin disc clutches. And they've got some CNR rad sitting there, which I'm like, I kind of, this is all stuff that's in my wheelhouse. Yeah. So, you know, we wish kind of, list items. I just basically, that's what they asked me for. He asked me for a wish list and I gave it. And the one thing that was absolute must for me was the transmission. Because again, here I am. I wasn't going to do the transmission because I can't afford it. But here I am in the middle of losing the vehicle for a year. And I've, you know, I've got all these other things happening. Like I've figured out the gear ratios. I've figured out the, t- I figured out the, the mathematics of the vehicle. But you know, the transmission wasn't the ideal transmission, but I couldn't afford anything else I was looking at. And here was this one, which was, the price was good. It had to be rebuilt. So, it, I mean, it's, it's, it is an investment, but it's a smart investment for what I'm doing. So we negotiated a deal on that, and I, and I took the transmission to start. Conversations kind of further went on that. And, uh, you know, it turns out that I they're looking at getting into doing a little bit of customer work. So... We we talked about what well, potentially they could help me out with a few things. We kind of left it at that because like there was a like my life was in a crazy spot at that point because I was pretty soon to be in the data three, um, and uh, I was trying to get I was tra- basically at that point I was trying to get the motor out of the country and I was trying to get the babies out of my wife. Like that's kind of <laughs> what was going. That was that was my main concern at that point. Um, yeah. And uh, so yeah, I, really we. Um, we left it at that. I had I had the transmission, and uh, which was great because it was like this piece. So I re- redid all the math on the motor. Redid all the math on the motor. Redid all the math on the gear ratios. Redid everything to relook at it and make sure it was smarter. And that was part of the decision factor. My guy Ron in California said, "If you like this transmission, 
you need to do this transmission. So I did it based okay. on mathematics alone. And, you know, having to work a little more to pay for it all. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, you know, I have... Um, I, uh, you know, we have twins and it all goes smoothly and they're out and they're healthy. So that's great. And the, the, I'm figuring out some other stuff in my life and accumulating parts and changing plans and just making sure that this all makes sense. There's so much reading and research going on that I won't bore you with that. Um, but we, we cut to much later in the process where this stuff has been sitting around too long. I'm not into fabrication. Yet. I, got, I got into fabrication late just for some weird things that happen in life, mostly because of the way that being a contract worker and having you know a self-funded mat leave and all this nonsense work out um i uh, the truck ends up at cha a place called chassis stop are you familiar with chassis stop no no okay they build um they build drag cars and i don't know if we were talking about this earlier is that the area that we live in is not particularly people are always kind of like oh there's nothing happening here with cars well two of the fastest cars in north america are, are gta cars for drag racing, 10-5 cars. So one of them is a guy named uh, uh, Nick, um, Nick, uh, why can't I think of the name? Nick Agostino. He's got this 2002 Camaro. It's built by them. They built the chassis for it. They didn't do the motor. They just do chassis work. So, mm -hmm. But anyways, so they build that stuff. Like we're talking twin turbo, billet aluminum block, rocket ships on wheels yeah yeah you know, purpose like built cars purpose built like this is full-on 10-5 outlaw street racing like this is what <laughs> this is these are drag full out drag cars right and i knew yeah. them for my drag racing days um anyways i i had talked to a bunch of i talked there, we have some fabulous um fabricators around here but um in talking with them and then they were all super cool with the project and they wanted to work on it but everybody was a little hinky on doing engine setback etc but these guys these guys cut the bottoms of the cars on a daily basis and put tube chassis in them and then rocket them at obnoxious miles per hour and they're ronnie and kerwin are the brothers that run it and they do really nice work and they're just they're really easy going and i just like i said i wanted to do this and they're like yeah fine they always like, we, we'll do what we can do I'm like all right so I bring them. I bring a mock block because I didn't have the engine, and I had the transmission, and I had this uh, SFI. I had the bell housing. I had all the, the basic bits, and I had my box of parts. So I brought it out to them, and I'm like, okay, we have to do engine setback, a few things like just putting the new nine inch in it, and just really simple work for them, mundane stuff. But I said this engine setback thing, I'd like you to put it back as far as you can, just like I don't want to cut the dash far back, but. Right. You shouldn't have to because like the internet says we can do this about 12 inches. So 10 or 12 inches is minimum. And this is and this is to help your just general weight distribution. Weight distribution. We're yeah. looking for weight distribution here right. because you I want to get as close to 50-50 yeah. as possible. For durability, I use an iron block. I use a GM rate. I think I use a thing called the R, uh, LSX race block, which is heavy. Mm -hmm. But it makes it durable. So that yeah. screws with it just it sure. helps me because I don't use I don't use a trailer, so I need it to be tough. Mm -hmm. Is the easy answer on that. Yeah. So they're like, yeah, we'll do what we can do. So I leave it with them. And I go back out and this engine is sitting under my dash. Like I just wasn't expecting it to be that far back. They they I got they they said, we think it's back around 17 inches. It turns out it's around 18. They did 18 inches of engine setback from where the engine was. No shit. And the based engine, on your research, you were like 10 to 12 I inches. I thought 12 was, was where it was going to be, was where it is, right? Yeah. And uh, so anyways, like the, the engine compartment's empty now. There's like my front, my front drive is in the engine compartment. That's it. There's nothing else there other than the wheels. 
And um, so, so yeah, they, they basically, you know, put that together and we did all the fabrication work and, and then everything's kind of now kind of like happening. It's just trying to figure it out. And then during that conversation, you know, we had furthered, uh, had a further chat with uh, the Mantella boys, uh, Anthony and his engineer, Andrew, and uh, they came by and saw it. And again, these are, you know, these guys are, you know, they have a full functioning race team. And, but they like, they like the project and we get along well. So we, I had some things that I needed help with that I don't have time to figure out. Like I don't like trying to do this dad thing and trying to work and trying to run a business and trying to run say, my wife's I mean, business. And this truck I was, is a full-time job. The truck is a full-time job. And I mean, I used to build on my own junk, right? Like I, I prefer to build my own stuff, but like the, the problem I faced on this was is because of what I'm going to do, I, I don't have time. Like, I can't. Like, it's either I spend 10 years building the truck or I work with various people on it, get it done, and go do it. Like, it's just the sooner this thing is running, the better. Like, that's the way I look at it. It's right. either it's either broken or it's not. That's what it is to me. <laughs> or it's being um, built. Yeah, or it's being built. Yeah, built is built equals broken in my world for some reason. <laughs> um, and really what's really ended up saving me on this is like the, the quality of people that I've been able to meet and that they're, they take some interest in it. And, you know, it's like figuring out how, what everybody needs from it, you know, yeah. and it's like this combination of interest and, you know, and what are the personal fees investment, what are the fees and, you know, cause it's like in, in, you know, with these guys, it's not what they do, but they like the project. Like, just believe me, when you see the lineup of cars in their shop, this is not supposed to be there. <laughs> but um, the, we dropped off the truck on just two nights ago and everything. So they're, gonna, they're going in to do some basic setup stuff for me and give me some opinions on some things. And we'll go from there. We're, wow. We're, we're at the point now. I'm, I'm getting it ready to get wired. I'm working with another awesome company in the city called On Point Dino. Um, oh, yeah. They, you know On Point Dino? Sasha? You know, Sasha? Yeah. Yeah. So I met with Sasha and we're doing... Um, he's designing a MoTeX system for me. So I'm going... Like I'm just... Everything's out and I'm only putting in the absolute best that I can afford at this point in my life because I need it to be tough and I need it to be mm -hmm. reliable mm -hmm. and I need it to be, I don't need it to be fast. It doesn't need to be any faster, but I need it to be safer because I just need it, you know, like I need it, I need to, I need to go out and do what I do with it. And my wife has to know and my mom has to know because she would like, she like thinks I'm insane. <laughs> But and even I need to know, like, and I need to know because I put a co-driver in the seat beside me that right. if something, you know, if something does go wrong. Like Your I kids need, need to know that. Too. I need to know. Yeah. yeah. Like I need to know, like I need to know to the best that I can that I've got these bases covered. And that's really what it's kind of boiling down to me is, is trying to, and I, I've, I've had to figure out, you know, what this means to me to do this. Cause I was a, I was a really builder, big designer guy and, and as I've moved forward and got into this, I use the word competition, but really, I, because I don't care, I don't know if it's competition, but I, this, when I go out and do these events and do these experiences with it, you know, I need it to operate a certain way. And I approach that much the same way I do with my, you know, my, my career in marketing. It's like I set it all up and I set it free. And when I set it free and I'm behind the wheel, it needs to do exactly what I want it to do. And I don't want any nonsense. I mean, <laughs> I don't mind upkeep, pretty damn but I don't fair. want nonsense. And um, and things happen, and I kind of enjoy it when things happen because I have like this little like 
part MacGyver inside of me that likes fixing like weird things. That's pretty clear. But yeah, I that's don't pretty clear want so that, far. I don't want that stuff to happen. I don't want that stuff to happen in the middle of going fast. That's that's easy, you know. Brakes on the side of the highway. Hey, I'll figure it out. You know, I've had that but happen not, plenty. Of but not doing 120 miles an hour into turn no, two. No, or faster. Yeah, no, not, not not yeah, or worse yet. You know, something else breaks when I'm sideways and turns too, because uh-huh. that happens too. But, uh-huh. but um, really, that that's been the you know the I guess as you've heard as we've talked about everything that's happening on this, it's really a quest, and I I'm looking at changing the way I build cars, the way I used cars, you know, the way all this fits into my life, and how to keep it interesting. Um, because I don't know what that answer is. I re- I know what I need from it. I know what this thing needs to run, and I need to go do stuff. And I know that I need it not to break. I don't need to, to be super fast. I mean, if it's fast, great, because I've been fast. But um, that part of it, we'll see what happens. But I do, I do need it to, I need a certain confidence level in it. And, and I've really enjoyed over the years, like the, the people part of this, like the folks that you meet and, the, and that kind of start. That's, that's where a lot of the fun lies. Yeah, I mean the is, sheer like, you know, volume of people that you've met, you've dealt with, yeah. the shops that you've uh, been a part of. I mean, yeah. you know, this is an international project. Yeah. Absolutely. Can you imagine like that? Who saw that coming? Like who, like, can you imagine? Like, there was one point in this thing where I had this truck scattered over a half dozen or more states in America, <laughs> uh, three provinces, yeah, and everything from you know an ex like the guy that I operate down with down in California, he's owned nine race teams, is now doing this. Um, I you you know you get into the the you know the Scott Gennady race shop side of it the, the the other cars they support and then there's me and that just makes no sense <laughs> and then you know you got this Mantella Autosport thing which that makes even less sense and none of it all of it the only and then you then then you add in the people that follow this thing like there is the only commonality in it is this dumb truck none of it makes sense so I'm just rolling with all of it and. Going to give her hell. You've got some good people behind you. I know we talked about it earlier, but I think, um, you know, Brendan Macleer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously he's been kind of pivotal in all of this and like helping some of that, um, I think, you know, associated press mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the, the, the fame that, um, that the truck has been given as well as you've got guys like uh, Jeff Glucker. Now, so I, I have to admit earlier we were talking about it, he's... He's into a Ford truck. He's into like a he's into a seventies late. Sorry, I think it's I like a late sixties, early seventies Ford. Them. They're finally getting support. They're finally like, they're finally getting support. I I champion. Yeah. I have a um, one of the guys that I you know I'm just uh, sorry. There's more talking out of me, but the I love the fact that people are building Fords. I love that generation for one. And one of the weird things that happened out of all of this, is I didn't think anybody would care. Right, like I just didn't, like I didn't, I guess I started a build blog because I just started a build. Blog. Everybody starts a build blog, right? right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just did it, and I never expected this many people. The part that I expected less was people. The part start sending me pictures of their projects. Ah, and one of those guys is from Germany, and no, he wasn't sure. sure what to build. He's got an old GM? No, he's got a D100 Dodge. Wow. So he even claims like I'm reading this build thread, and all of a sudden he's like, <laughs> I was reading Mark Brovey's target truck build thread, and I'm like, hell, we can make a truck go fast. So here I am making a truck go fast because hey. of this silly truck that I built. And so yeah, we've we've chatted and uh, we've kind of became 
I don't know, internet friends of sorts. So in, sometime he's going to come from Germany and we're going to go for a ride and just kind of like, but he's, and his, like you should go look up his build. It's on protouring.com. Like yeah. this guy, this guy's basically taking Hellcat stuff and shoving it in a D100. No shit. And he's like, yeah. deep, he, he's nice. taking apart the wiring harness and he's doing that stuff. And then he's got like some magical place. Like I don't, and I don't know if it's him or not, but he's got, he's doing carbon body panels for it. And he built the bumper, and I'm like, it's it's absolute. Like, there's people here making art, but this, like, when you like see this thing, this guy is making OEM looking stuff. No shit. Like it is, like there is no like you like you you most of us stuff. We go off and make parts in our garage, right? And it's like uh-huh. there's like bits of stuff here, and it's a messy thing, right? This guy, he's is, like putting together his own it, looms. For- it looks like surgery. <laughs> it's it's. Even the mold, the mold that make the bumper is nicer than some of the par- finished parts wow. I've made in my life. Anyway, um, yeah, sorry. Kind of crazy. I mean, I totally segued on you there. I apologize. Germany, I have to admit, with that type of attention to detail, yeah. that's you know characteristic and stereotypical. Yeah. But hey, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, the, the Fords are great because there's even now people making the uh, there's people making chassis for them now. I mean, really, like you know, there's a bunch of companies. Really, it's all just a wheel, like it's wheelbase and track width for the most part, and just make a chassis and you know put the body mounts on it and go. Like we're at that right. we're at that point in this hobby where it's mail order anything. Right. But but it makes me endlessly happy to hear somebody else is building a Ford because I, <laughs> I love those trucks. Oh, so well, cool. he's good. I, I hope that he finds some inspiration in this. I found some inspiration in his podcast and kind of what he's been doing and yeah. his whole. Uh, progression of his build and his old Ford. I mean, he has an advantage uh, over us in terms of his climate in general in California. Obviously, oh, that's yeah. awesome. Uh, but for you, you live in Parkdale, not far away from me. You have to, you know, weather the winter. Not mm-hmm. a bad time to also be able to put a truck into a bit of a hibernation state to build. Yeah. But at the same time, so Mark, before we before we cap this off, I have yeah. one last question for you. This is going to be totally out of the blue. Go for it. Uh, I do uh, a segment that kind of um, I intersperse between all of these different interviews, and it's called the $15,000 used car challenge. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And so uh, putting you on the spot, it's not the same as the, these episodes, but I, I usually take 50. I try to find 15 cars yeah. in 15 minutes for under $15,000 to prove to a lot of the naysayers that say I can't find anything interesting or fun to drive. For less than fifteen thousand dollars. So what's it got to do? Just has to be fun. So it has to be fun. So my criteria typically end up being that it's a coupe, that it's a it's a manual transmission, and that it's it's um, uh, it's not a diesel. So we're not going to look at electric cars. We're not going to look. Is age a factor here? Does it have to be like age age has zero factor, zero factor in that? My seventy nine Celica five speed all original was thirty five hundred bucks cash. Oh my god. And, and you know what it took for a safety? I had to put a gasket on the catalytic converter. I paid more for the bolts. Come on. So this, this is nothing. amazing. So, yeah. I, so I feel like that's a pretty easy answer for you because of all people, you'd be able to find a car under $15,000. Super easy. I mean, oh I'm finding goodness. like, I'm finding modern BMWs, like 330s that, you know, have, you know, moderate time. A buddy of mine, a buddy of mine just bought a, my friend Shannon just bought a three series BMW coupe. So it's gray, one owner car, stick. It was a 320 something. It's got the sport mm-hmm. package on it. Like mm-hmm. it, and I think I think he got it for about six grand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, if you if you can't if you can't find it, if you can't find a stick two-door car for under 15 grand that's fun to drive, you aren't trying hard enough. This is the and so I mean thank you. If you just want a bitch, that's fine. Like there's lots of people that want to complain, right? Like always. And I, I always. I'm fine with that. If that makes you happy. 
I mean, sure, if you want, if that's, there's, listen, it's really easy to not do something. And if you need <laughs> excuses not to do it, there's a million of them. Uh, yeah, I think that's easy. I think, I think, I think, like, I, I, yeah, I just think that if, if you know what you, I think you're, I think you have to look at what you want. I think you have to know what you want. Like, yeah. are you going to go out and find a Hemi Cuda convertible for stick for fifteen thousand yeah. dollars? No, no, it's not going to happen. But, but you have to look at, you know, the you have to look at what you want out of the car. What do you want? Like, what do you, what do you need? Like, because yeah. so many people go into yeah. it with an idea. Like, especially people that build cars, they go, "Oh, I want to be a, like a frame layer, and I want to like." They're like, I want it to stop well, and I want it to be a frame layer, and I want to put a, like a 672 blah, 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 blah in it, right? And I'm like, hold on here. Like, well, the only thing you're missing there is putting velocity stacks on it and maybe a lace paint job. Like, what are yeah. you doing? Yeah. Um, like, so really, you know, because we, I talk about this with a lot of people, and it is, if you, if you are that person that is trying to figure out that car, using the criteria of the stick two-door under 15 grand, Think about what you want it to do or what you might want it to do. Mm -hmm. And if you are mm -hmm. a person that wants to get a car and you want to modify it and you want to run it, then buy a car that has good support and is cheap and proven. Absolutely. Don't go out and buy the 6 Series stick BMW. Yeah. Because the, that car is expensive to upkeep. Exactly. You know, and... So one know, of my constant warnings to everyone is to yeah. say... There's a difference between the $15,000 used car that you can pick up tomorrow yeah. that you'll have fun with yeah. uh, that requires very little maintenance, yeah. high parts availability, yeah. uh, and great aftermarket support in terms of like what I think you and I have both found of yeah. you very much more so than I in terms of a community that you can get behind, that you can use as a, a support base to look yeah. at. You know, when I need to make certain modifications to the car, yeah. it's not the first time I'm doing it. I mean, yeah. you're kind of breaking ground in a lot of ways. Of You're the one who's actually said to people, this is how you do it when you're working on this truck to do these things. Yeah. Uh, but there's a difference between that and someone who looks at the $15,000 used car that's like, like you said, like a six series, like a modern six series. You're yeah. like, great. I, yeah, I can get it for $15,000 and it has 160,000 kilometers on it. Yeah. But after that, right now in terms of like what you require for maintenance i mean you're going to be into the yeah. same price of the car for maintenance over the next four years yeah just to be able to upkeep it so you know many especially with modern cars it's really easy oh you know, god yeah. just research the car find out what it needs find out what the maintenance schedule it on it is the maintenance schedule is so key and yeah, if, find out your intervals find out the intervals and did, did the person that owns the car where the intervals hit hmm. and if the intervals weren't hit then it's not worth that money Exactly. Figure it out, like exactly because all this stuff is pretty researchable now. Yeah, and um, and you, you know you've got to just. I mean, I think you just have to be honest with yourself. If you want a certain style car, you have to put up with the BS of owning that car. If you want a car that's fun, then that then you're looking for a car that is fun. It is a car that can be anything. Exactly. Don't and if you're a real wheel drive person for. Goodness sake, don't buy a front wheel drive car. <laughs> and if you love Honda Civics, yeah. buy a Honda Civic. Yeah. You know, just like I, yeah. I, I it amazes me. It, it, it amazes me. Um, it amazes me sometimes what I see people doing. Like they're 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 putting all this effort into a vehicle that, you know, either they're they're they lack compassion for or they wanted this but they bought that or or whatever. And, and, and you know, it's too it's too much work. Like, 
It's too and much to have, work. Like, and to have a, some like some form of post-purchase remorse, to me, is just a lack of planning. Yeah. Is what it comes down to. And I mean, you and I, I think, are of the same breed when it comes to looking at the choices that you have, the market that is, I mean, crazy right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, and what's available to you and also like what's available to you in an aftermarket support standpoint. Yeah. But then I also look at this right now as, uh, you know, and to all of those that are listening, that have listened through, which I'm going to make this into a two-part series, but to the second part of the series, if you're listening from the U.S. right now, please, please take a really good look at the Canadian used car market for those cars that you want that I know you can't get until they're 25 years old, but that's fine. Yeah. We've had them for a while. With 34 cents on the dollar, you'd be crazy not to consider buying used cars from Canada yeah. and going through the whatever the rigor is to bring them back into the U.S. Do it, yeah. because right now you're not going to find better yeah. use for. I mean, I looked at this the other day, and um, a friend of mine was about. He was uh, supposed to be on a, a guest on the show, and. He owns a, a Kia dealership, started a BMW dealership, and he has a really successful store here in Toronto now. Yeah. Awesome guy, incredible entrepreneur. Uh, the whole uh, the whole basis for that episode was going to be my $15,000 used car challenge. But if I was American, it would be a $19,800 used car challenge. Yeah. I'm going, I mean, that dramatically changes uh, what I'd be looking at in the market. If you went, well, you have $15,000 in the Canadian market. Okay, yeah. great. I'd look at these cars. Yeah. For $20,000, yeah. I mean, that that extra five grand makes a big difference in what's available right now. And honestly, like, you know, we're, and I think when people think about buying a car for $15,000, like, I don't know if they've cruised bring a trailer lately. <laughs> yeah, oh, you my know, God, that, yeah. You know, because that's, a, uh, you that's know, I like crack, pure crack. You know, <laughs> I like, love it. <laughs> Honestly, like I, I'm kicking myself right now for not. There was a car. It was a Targa car. It was a '69 Camaro that used to run. And and sadly, it's a sad story. The owner, from what I under, I just learned this part of the story now. From what I understand, is the owner got sick, and he decided that he, you know, the car had to be sold. But this mm. is a, this is a car that is a built competition car, and it's a '69 Camaro, and it's got a thirty-five thousand dollar price tag on it. Wow, and. You know, I've I've built I've built the same car many times. And I, I, I hazard to think of the cost of it, but I'm telling you if you guys if you're out there looking at getting into racing cars and, and especially if you don't have an emotional commitment to the car in the garage and you're looking at going to get a base car that you want to build into something, look at the built market. You're gonna you're gonna have to fix something, you're gonna have to change of course, something. Of course, because yeah. there's a lot of personal preference that happens, but I tell you like even the other day, I think it was bring a trailer. Not the other day, but the other week, there was like a Studebaker. There was a Studebaker road racer on that silver one. I saw one. that. I saw. And I don't that. know what oh, that thing God. sold for, but no, there's there's the price that it is selling for. You can't build it. No, and, absolutely. And absolutely let alone not. let alone no. when you get into the time, like the time and effort. Like I can't begin to tell you, like this thing that I'm in the middle of right now. Whereas it does sound exciting, and believe me, it's exciting. It is every day of my life after my kids go down. At least two or three hours a day that's that intense. I spend, you know, and that's and that's averaging it. Sure, know, yeah, managing it. Like, and that's what I am now. I am now a, const- a custodian of managing this thing to turn out the way I want it to. Because if it doesn't turn out the way I want it to, oh, my just, <laughs> it makes my head hurt. But the point of that again to being is, 
really think hard about what you want, you know, um, uh, because you can go out, you can have a, you can have as much fun, you know, as because we all follow these crazy builds, you know, I follow them too. You know, I'm I'm going down to Pikes Peak to see Big Red this ah, year. Amazing, and I'm going down to see uh, Cody Loveland's EV8. Like I've I've seen the car and I've met him, and I want to see these things. I want to hear them and I want to see them. I, and so, I want to see I want to see some of the Ring Brothers cars. Yeah, like you know, and I'm just committed to go out and exploring this stuff. So I see what people who do it better than I how they do it, um, and I cannot say enough that. You know, there are these extreme builds like those cars and I guess a little bit what I'm getting into. But you know what? That stock class, like the Miata class or whatever, tell me, those guys are hard competitors and they have a lot of fun. And I've right. I've been in cars that you think are slow and when you learn to drive them, Oh man! And you're taking like, down you're taking down the the you know the, yeah. the prancing horse. Yeah, on the you're track. Taking, taking down like some taking down some like these the, you can take with 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 the driver mod you can take down serious serious cars in very simple cars um and i can't stress that enough and and that's that's putting aside everything that i'm doing because what i'm doing is what i'm doing is is for very different reasons and that's that's for me um i'm i'm glad people find it entertaining but it's it's something that fills a is something that's for me personally um but yeah i I tell you, there are a lot of ways to have fun with a car. And if it is, and if it's, you know, it's being the stanced guys or whatever it is, just look at that and go visit it and see if you like it. Like, I I really recommend going out and seeing the scene. I couldn't agree more. Because I know people that have built, like, drift cars. Like, spent 50 grand on building a drift car and then gone out and right. done it and didn't yeah. like it because it was like figure skating. You know, they yeah. felt that they felt that the politics was too much to overcome. And yep. it's like, that politics was there before you got involved. Yeah. yeah. So you've got to you do, you do your research. And there's a lot yeah. of things. Just to, just to look at, um, and if, in the end, it, you know, you know, you've you've got to love the car. It it can be a lot of work, um, and decide how you're going to do it, and don't fall into this trap of this built or bought nonsense. Um, oh, yeah, I could go on about that one, but I mean, I think everybody knows where I stand. <laughs> I, I, I don't think there's a. I think it's so easy to debunk that that discussion and that's probably a whole other podcast we Absolutely. won't get into but um i uh yeah just just be honest with yourself and what you want from the car i love it i love it that's amazing and so that's for everyone out there that's you know the best advice i think anyone's ever given on this show um uh that's you know straight from the horse's mouth with mark bovey um that's been episode 19 of the bucket seat podcast now, Mark, um, in terms of, you know, where we can follow you, where where can we find you on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all of those places? So give us a little shout out of where we can uh, where we can follow you. The easiest places to follow me are on uh, Facebook. Just look up Target Truck. Um, mm-hmm. I'm on Instagram as Target Truck. Yeah. Um, Pro Touring, uh, there's a build thread in the truck section called Target Truck. So if you're out there building the truck or really like a lot of the stuff that I get into is applicable to anything. It just happens to be on a truck. Yeah. To yeah. Be quite honest with you. So that's there. Um, those are the easiest places. I'm probably going to do like a grassroots motorsports blog or uh, and cool. uh, maybe a bank shift. I want to. I'm trying to. Yeah, it's a long story. It's obviously it's a long story. I'm sorry, but that's the basic uh, Instagram, Facebook, ProTouring.com. Amazing. That'll give you the roundabout ways to see what I'm up to. 
Amazing. It's on YouTube too. Or if you just Google Target Truck. Yeah, you know? I mean, you can't miss it when you, once you yeah. Google Target Truck. I love the Road yeah. and Track article by Brendan McClear. That article just, he, yeah. nailed, he nailed what I'm about in that article. So he's, if you go into Road and Track and search Target Truck, it's there as well. He's certainly, I mean, it sounds like a, you know, Golden Boy is not the right term because I mean, it feel, I feel like that's not the right term for it. But I mean, he certainly is one of those Canadian automotive journalists that I think we all kind of look to as, um, I think, one of the future leaders when it comes to what's going yeah. on in automotive in Canada. And, um, um, in the meantime, um, follow the bucket seat on Instagram. Um, you can find us on Shout Engine where you find the podcast as well as iTunes. So please do subscribe and rate. Thank you to everyone for listening. Um, and again, this has been episode 19 with Mark Bovey on Target Truck. Look forward to episode 20, 21, 22. They're all in the plans right now. Uh, some really exciting stuff coming up uh, on season two of the Bucket Seat Podcast. So stay tuned and thank you so much for listening. Thank you.